Welcome to the Dystopian Renaissance. We cover spirituality, healing, consciousness, and truth in this chaotic world we live in. It's important to get out of the matrix, and we'll do just that with biohacking, nutrition, spiritual awakenings, alternative healing, and freedom. This is the Dystopian Renaissance, and this is your host, Johnny Sage. Welcome to another episode of the Dystopian Renaissance podcast. I'm sitting today with Valerie Wong, an Ayurvedic health counselor and yoga nidra instructor. Thank you for having me today. So what got you started to all this? When did your spiritual journey begin? So um, to jump right into it, I think that my spiritual journey has been a very slow one. I don't know if I had a a real, uh, you would call like tipping point or sudden uh, awakening, uh, if you might say. So um, I'll describe it as best as I can. I wouldn't consider myself to be um, a fully spiritual person even now. I'm aware that there is spirituality and I'm aware of where I am on that journey. Um, and this will relate to Ayurveda later as well. So we'll get into that. But um, I would say I started off um, with kind of like a tumbling crisis, if you will. <laughs> and uh, as with anything, you, you don't really notice when it's first starting because you feel pretty good about life. And um, so I went through the first like 25 years of my life um, pretty as a as a normal happy person, you know, and um, I think it all started when I um, I was living in Japan and uh, I was living a great life and I decided to go back to the States to live and pursue my graduate degree and um I had had three years in Japan where I mattered. Um, I made a huge impact on the community. I was a school teacher. And um, there was nothing wrong. And I, I saw a vision of like me playing a role in helping develop international education um, where the whole goal was to create uh, like relationships um, and like bridges of communications between cultures um, because one thing that I learned in Japan is that like y you don't have to know the same language to understand each other as human beings so with that really lovely goal in mind I moved back to the states and um, quickly realized in school that this was not the agenda that um, higher education had for international education and um, what they had instead was a very, um, I guess, imperialistic or uh, way of looking at things in terms of like wanting to bring the American educational system and implant it in countries across the world. So, as you can imagine, that was that was not really my idea of like. Uh, mutual understanding and communication for, uh, you know, 
so I, I was very disenchanted. And um, I think that sent me down. That was the first um, realization that the world was not the place that I thought it was. So it's the U.S. that started a to put catch you down, right? The first realization. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a good place to awaken, I guess, because you see a lot of crazy stuff here. So, I, and I grew up here, so I can only imagine what it's like looking at it, looking at it from an outsider's perspective too. Well, it's interesting because it was both an insider and outsider, because I grew up here in the states, but. I had spent three years in Japan in my most formative, I would say the most formative years of my life, right? I think it was age 18, no, no, I'm sorry, 21 to like 24. Oh, so when you were growing up here, it didn't bother you as much, but it was only when you stepped away and then came back, then you started making the realizations. Yeah, because I, I grew up actually in a very diverse um, high school as well community. And um, when I think they were like kind of ahead their, of their time in terms of the way that they saw the world. So like I always had kind of a global perspective of of humanity and I didn't understand this. Um, there was a very uh, underlying. Uh, and I don't know if it's the right thing to say, like patriotic, but like nationalistic in in a way that's like a little bit destructive um, undertone to a lot of the way that um, education is taught in, uh, in higher education. <laughs> and I know we've had talks about Buddhism. Is that where, did you, were you always Buddhist or did you find that later in life? So it's funny because like, um, I think Buddha, Buddhism is a part of my um, heritage because I'm Chinese and so like growing up we did have Buddhist rituals for things like especially like for funerals and whatnot um, probably marriages too but it wasn't like a you know I had no other connection to it personally and it wasn't until um, much later so if we fast forward from graduate school until um, about that was like 2014 to when I came to LA um, and had lived a little bit more life in about 2018 uh, that was kind of like the peak of my personal crisis. So um, at that point, I had let things really build up. So it wasn't just like this realization that the world wasn't the way that I wanted it to be, but also because of that, I had become somewhat reckless in all aspects of life. So, um, you know, without going into too many specifics, relationships, um, career-wise, I didn't have... I. Like I couldn't really hold a job that allowed me to make a living. Um, and I was just kind of all over the place and I didn't have any direction. So it was at that time where um, I realized I really needed to do something for myself and I wasn't going to be able to do it by myself. Um, so I decided to do a Vipassana retreat. So uh, that's a 10-day silent meditation uh, in the desert here in Joshua Tree. It, it's all around the world, but that's the one that I chose to do. And so you don't um, look at anyone, talk to anyone, and you meditate for 10 days. So, uh, and that is rooted in a Buddhist tradition. And so that was my first um, venture into, I would say like true spirituality and like looking at myself. And what was it like at the end of the 10 days? Did you make a lot of realizations 
So I was in a big crisis at the time. So when you are uh, suffering, the only thing that you usually tend to do is dwell on that suffering. Uh, so that those first 10 days at the retreat, I think gave me the peace that I needed to at least bring my, myself from like negative to level again. So I can't say that like, um, I had a lot of revelations beyond that. I think that there are always going to be levels to it. And, but that brought me to a place where I can finally, um, I was out of the mud per se. Uh, and um, but I knew that the journey was not over because I had done the 10 days, but my problems hadn't just magic- magically disappeared. Did you do yoga nidra or Ayurveda first? So I believe I did. I started Ayurveda first. And um, quite soon after, um, got into the yoga nidra. And I was a lucky, I, had, I, was, I was trying to work at the same time as I was doing Ayurveda in school um, because you know one of the things that I had um, problems with was trying to live and work and and do school at the same time and uh, my mentor Rita um, kindly offered to um, have me help her out and at the same time part of that job was to help her promote the yoga nidra and so what she had me do was also take the yoga nidra training which was also with you. That was with me, and that was a that was one of the first yogas I got certified in, and it wasn't. It's not really a well known yoga. Not even the people that do hatha yoga or flow, which is like the main ones in here at least, the Western culture, they they aren't too familiar with yoga nidra, which was surprised to me because it's offered so many benefits, and I really like it. Yeah, um, I I fell in love with yoga nidra at that uh, training, and I had probably only one prior experience with it so uh like just to give our audience an idea of what happens you're lying down and you're guided through what i would call like a guided meditation essentially you're you're noticing the sensations and any tension in your body um and then letting them go one by one right yeah and it's. I found it's hard harder to do than it sounds because your mind will want to wander. But when you focus on each individual part, you are able to reach a much deeper state of relaxation. Yes. And so that was the key because at the time, um, I was trying to do too much as usual. That was my pattern. And so I had, I was in some kind of like self-development program that was demanding like hours and hours of time on top of schoolwork and all of that. And I felt like I had to do all of these things in order to even keep afloat. And that somehow like, you know, working harder would yield better results. And what I realized through doing this program of literally pretty much laying there and listening to voices uh, for three or four days is that. I finally understood uh, what it means when people say that you're whole, perfect, and complete. And so many people don't know what that feels like. It's very elusive too, right? When you're when you're going about your regular life, you don't you feel like there's always something else to do, and you always feel like there's another hole that you need to to fill. Um, but when I was lying there over and over again, feeling so relaxed and feeling like you know, I was in this safe space. 
I finally got a glimpse of what it, it means to to be worthy of just being. Yeah, that makes sense. And like you said, it's one you're lying down, so pretty much everyone can do it. It's I know like with Hatha yoga you do chair yoga and stuff if you're if you have like some injury or something, but for yoga nidra, I don't think there's any way you could get injured or it's uh, I don't think there's any contraindications because they could do it at hospitals and pretty much all settings. Yeah, and um you know, the benefits there there really are no risks and after doing that, I've even heard from someone who had lost her legs that one of the ways that she overcame her difficulties while in the hospital is doing yoga nidra because she couldn't, she was a yoga, um, she is a yoga teacher, um, and she couldn't do her normal yoga while she was in the hospital. I mean, and she, like, it, it was unlikely she would ever do it the way that she knew how to do it again, but um, the way that she described it was like the pain that was there she was able to overcome um, just by focusing on that tension, right? And then allowing herself to let it go. Yeah, that was, it, it's, it is about letting go too. Those are, there's like a phrase, at least in the ones that we learned where it's about letting go, especially towards the end. And there was something called a sankalpa which you can put your intention in, right? Things you want to manifest. It's, it's towards the end. Have Have you ever heard any good stories about that or experienced any like, good ones yourself? I believe in the sankalpa um, and th- its potential. So basically what happens when you do yoga nidra is that you are essentially turning off your physical body. That's the easiest way to explain it. So uh, in... The Vedic tradition, we have the different um, sheaths and the different bodies, right? And so um, the if we are able to bring balance to one, we have access to the the ones that are lower and beneath it and that are deeper with and closer to the soul. So I think there's this idea that um, if you if the body is not reacting to any stressors and it's fully relaxed and it's just it knows its perfection then that gives your your mind the space to then create new possibilities because um without a thought we cannot realize a reality in the physical world so now we have this chance in the sankalpa to consciously create a possibility for new realities. That was a great explanation. Thank you. And uh, my healing journey, along the first part of it, actually started with an Ayurvedic healer. She made me take a dosha quiz and analyzed my diet, came up with a plan. Is is that something you experienced, like when you first started? In terms of the Ayurveda? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I got into Ayurveda because... um, I I had started all of this other stuff, so I had done I had done the vipassana, and I then got into something called Ashtanga yoga. So um, at the time, I really needed that further guidance, and so um, my friend recommended me to do something called Mysore style yoga. 
And I knew that I like I didn't want to just do like the regular hatha and like go to another yoga studio and that that wasn't really what I wanted. I really wanted something where I would be able to focus on myself and get some insight on what I was experiencing as a human being. And so this Mysore style yoga <clears throat> is quite unique in that you uh you you start from nothing and you go into the this like yoga shala or studio and everybody is already doing their own um, series and so when you go in there might be already a handful of people there and then the teacher is just walking around the room guiding everybody and the thing is like everybody is in their own point of the journey which is really beautiful if you think about it so you start at the beginning of your journey and then they, they give you like a set of poses and then you go in each day and you practice those until the teacher sees that you're ready to move on to the next one. And so uh, over time, you start to build and build a series of poses. Um, anyway, so I started doing that. And so uh, it's funny because we're all talking about Facebook these days and how um, how invasive it can be. But it's interesting that... Um, Facebook was the one who brought up the ad for Ayurveda school. <laughs> so I had no idea what Ayurveda was at the time, but I needed, um, I really wanted a career change. And so I looked into the school. Um, and just as a, you know, background information, my undergrad was in counseling psychology. And I actually, I really connected with that because one of the things I, I really was passionate about is helping people make realizations that would would progress their lives um i just it, it didn't go down that route um at the time i was looking for something more and so when this when i found this ayurveda school and read what ayurveda was it's like I, I this is exactly what i i was looking for that i didn't know existed and so it wasn't that i needed at the time i wanted like help with my diet and lifestyle uh it was more that I I was searching for my purpose. Oh, that that's pretty cool. For me, it was, I mean, I didn't pursue it, but I was getting like the Basti treatments and is it pronounced Abhyanga massage? And and I even finally, like a year or two later, I got the, uh, is it Shirodara? Shirodara, yeah. Shirodara, thank you. I could never pronounce that one. And all the treatments are amazing though too. So it's, uh, even if you don't, like just focus on the dietary aspects themselves still the treatments are uh, they feel so good yeah and I think I got into those a little bit later on in my training because why the reason why I wanted to get into Ayurveda was actually the psychological aspect of it and so like Ayurveda looks at mind body and spirit and because what I was working on so much in my life was mind-centered that's how I got into it but then I learned that by focusing on the body, by like, you know, setting your routines and like doing your daily abhyanga, like self oil massage and everything helps build the foundation for um, healthier growth in any aspect of life. Yeah. And I, I was really impressed by how they could split you up and find out what your constitution was. There's one biohacker. He says, oh, Ayurveda, they... He, like, he's likes to consider himself cutting edge. He says Ayurveda hasn't been updated because they don't deal with things like cell phone towers and 
the poisons in our food and water. Do you, would you disagree with that saying like it would, there are things that could cover that as well? So this is a really good point. And in some ways I agree with him, in some ways I don't agree with him, and here's why. Um, the Ayurvedic texts were written thousands of years ago, and um, every r- piece of writing by a human being was written in the cultural context in which that person lived. And, um, you know, I don't think Ayurveda is excluded from that. However, Ayurveda is a science that has very basic universal princi- principles that are its foundation. And so everything that was that was written on Ayurveda was was written on this very strong foundation. And so um, while it's true that there are like cell phone towers that we need to deal with now and a whole bunch of other stuff, it is written in the in the classical text about like things like amavisha, which is like the the toxins in the environment. It's just that the the volume of toxins that we deal with in the environment now are exponentially more. And so while maybe the text didn't focus so much on that aspect of life, um, doesn't mean that the information wasn't there. It's just that we do need to somewhat adjust it. And I think this is true with any medical science, is that like you can't just say it's always going to be this way and not take into account what has happened over time. Yeah, that's a good point. So thanks. Because like you said, I knew it was really old the when they came up with it. But it was really it was really comprehensive too and covers everything. And they do cover toxins. So I, that's why I was wondering, are toxins just toxins or or should you update it with some modern methods of healing as well? Like do some like complement it with something else. We need we need to look at and have like an honest look at what what it would mean, because um, like yes, toxins probably have changed their characteristics. So you know, and and this is true for everything. Um, underlying all matter are these these five elements, uh, and we call them ether, air, fire, water, and earth. And so um, we need to know what are the characteristics of the toxins that we have in modern day. And how how can we deal with those in a way that um, is still effective? And but that that's not going to change so dramatically from how they did it, you know, five thousand years ago. But maybe the toxins that they'd had back then had more um, earth and water, whereas now a lot of the toxins we have because of like you know radiation, et cetera, probably have more of a fire element to them. But when you know that, then then you can you can really break it down, um, and also identify the substances that would help to bring that that excessive quality back to balance. All right, cool. So if someone came to see you, is there some way you recommend like starting off, or is it different for each client? So it is always going to be individualized, and that's the beauty of Ayurveda, and that's how it should be: is that you use the basic principles of Ayurveda to apply it to the individual. There are certain practices that I think are beneficial to pretty much almost anyone, but those are going to be very um, straightforward, like, you know, drinking enough water and going to bed on time. But even within that, there are variations. And the thing is, like, the reason why person A might be sick might be completely different than person B, even though they have the exact same diagnosis. So you don't always start with the dosha quiz, right? It could, it could 
vary depending on like just listening to what they want to accomplish first? So I always ask them what they want to accomplish first, and sometimes that's not so clear. So that is something that we have to work through. But we also do the, I guess, what you call like a dosha analysis. Um, but it's not just like what your constitution is, right? So that's what we call a prakriti. That's your, your state of perfect homeostasis. But we're also looking at your current state of imbalance, which is going to almost always be different from your prakriti. If it's, it's, if it's the same, that means you're in perfect health and you need no health. Um, uh, and so it's, it's actually very important to look at the state of imbalance because the likelihood is that everyone who has ever lived a life since the time that they were born, they have dealt, they have been ongoingly dealt, dealing with an imbalance. Is it possible to be in perfect health right now, or is that highly unlikely? Very highly unlikely. And the reason why is because it's not just about us as individuals. It's that as soon as we are even a single-celled organism, we're immediately subject to the environment. And that doesn't have to be like, you know, the outside or anything, but literally like what are the substances that are within your mother's womb even? So there is no time in our life where we aren't exposed to something. And so as soon as we are conceived, we're already being influenced by something. That's a good point. I didn't even think about how early on we're subjected to various things. And our mother's diet really plays an important role in, in what we experience while we're still in the womb then, right? Yes. Um, so not only diet, but like... Um, mental state, health, um, you know, that's why they tell mothers like not to drink too much coffee or, you know, take alcohol, like everything has an influence on um, the development of the baby. Right? And so also if you're, um, if you're staying up late to work every night and you're really worried about things, that that is going to influence your baby. And, you know, it's not a, a bad or good. We can't really say that, but we just have to acknowledge that, like, everything that we experience and that we, we, we take into our bodies and senses have an effect on, on the fetus as well. Have you heard of lotus births where they leave the umbilical cord attached for until it falls off naturally? So I have probably heard of this but i haven't looked into it in detail myself okay yeah some people are giving birth underwater as well they're not like underwater but in the water too so to i guess kind of like recreate the womb setting so i don't have any opinion because i i haven't given birth myself um i think just the one thought i do have is that throughout history women have given birth in so many different ways and i think that overall as a society, especially in the United States, we tend to obsess over what's the right way. But after so many thousands of years of existence and different ways of doing it, it, it doesn't seem like we can really truly declare one way is, is necessarily the best way. Yeah, that makes sense. And that goes back to diet too. And why so many wellness people are fighting what's the best diet or there'll be a new fad or trend every few years. But that's what I've, I've come to realize that my theory now is there's probably not one right diet for everyone that we're all different. Right. Um, and 
I think that's the the trap that we all fall under because we all want, I think especially in America, we want quick results. And we want these like sure shot answers as if that gives us a guarantee that it's gonna, we're going to have a good result. But oftentimes that, that really does tend to backfire on us because we obsess and then we go extreme. But, you know, Ayurveda says that life is about balance. So when you do decide, oh, I have to have it black and white like this, you're already setting yourself up for, you know, going out of balance. And there's one treatment that's more intensive. Is it called the Panchakarma? Yes. And what does that entail? So the Panchakarma is a very involved process of what we would call um, purification or shodana chikitsa. And so the whole purpose of this is to uh, rid the body of the doshas. And um, so there's vata, pitta, and kapha, right? And we are those are actually the physiological um, forces that govern the body. However... Uh, doshas are also what we would consider as flaws or faults. And so um, when things go out of balance, that means that you have excess doshas. It's never really that you have like a deficiency of vata or deficiency of pitta. We always look at it as like you have too much kapha, too much of this. Um, so that's one part of it is that you're trying to expel the doshas from the system. And then the other part is to get rid of the toxins. And so the toxins are called ama. And ama is formed due to poor digestion. Um, and so, like, as as you live your life and if you don't deal with the ama, it tends to lodge itself deeper into the tissues. And so it gets into places where it's very hard to expel. So what panchakarma does is that it's a very um, involved process where, like, the first portion is to to uh, mobilize the dosha. So where the, wherever that might be, we use like the abhyanga and the shiradhara and everything to mobilize the doshas and bring them back to the, um, the, the elementary tract. So once they're there, then they're, they become much more easy to expel. So that's when we do the main panchakarma. Panchakarma means like five actions. And so those actions, according to the classical text, are vamana, which is a vomiting therapy, virechana, which is the um, purgation, the downward purgation. And then we have the bastis or enemas. Um, we have nasya therapy, which is um, intaking medication through the, no the nostrils. And then we have raktamokshana, which is bloodletting. So those five actions are the ones that... Um, expel the doshas from the system as well as the toxins and then after that is a process to to reintegrate the body and um and reintroduce like normal foods and like strengthen the body because by definition you are purifying it which means that not only you're expelling doshas but you're kind of weakening the body at the same time because like to clean something out you need to also get rid of a lot of stuff and so, like, during that time period, you do t become weakened. So at the end of it, you have to make sure that in, for you to, to correctly reintegrate back into normal life, that you build it up, your body up slowly and gently. And so then the whole Panchakarma um, procedure is uh, complete. So in short, it's getting out the bad stuff first and then uh, replenishing that with the good stuff? 
Yes. And, um, and from there, it's, it's pretty much your responsibility to continue feeding your body the good stuff, right? So not going back to, you know, late, like late night snacking habits or like staying up and like going out to party, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, once you have gotten rid of all this, you want to be able to maintain that status for as long as possible. And with the bloodletting, have you found it's hard to do some things that they can't do in India? Because in India, they'll actually use leeches for that part, right? Yeah. So, um, so the practice of Ayurveda, uh, in its, in its entirety is, is quite difficult in the States. And so you, you won't get bloodletting here. Um, and, uh, you know, um, even Basti treatments, you're not really going to find someone who's going to implement it for you they'll usually make the bastis and then they'll send them home with you and you have to do them yourself oh got it yeah and i know you did start out with like the healing treatments yourself but now that you're certified at it do you find yourself incorporating those type of meals and other aspects into your life yeah, so since starting my education, I've actually gotten a lot more into the nutrition aspect of it. And I did take a, uh, a nutritional training with, with like an Ayurvedic nutrition training. Uh, and so I've gotten much more into, okay, what, what, what does it mean to have like a wholesome meal? Um, and I've, I've learned to do some of the body therapies and I've tried out a very a truncated version of Panchakarma myself. Oh, so and do you offer the Panchakarma as well, the shorter version? Not yet. So I'm still in school um, for for the clinical aspect of Ayurveda, and that will um, I will be finishing in April. And from there, you know, it I will still need to practice in order for me to be confident in it. Um, but I am hoping that one day that this will be a part of my uh, practice because it has been shown to be very helpful, especially in in um, autoimmune diseases and whatnot. Yeah, and autoimmune diseases are really hard to get rid of. Western medicine, a lot of people I know that have tried Western medicine for them can't really get rid of them. They, a lot of them are unexplainable. Right. And so the beauty of Ayurveda is that we always look for the cause. And there is always a cause. And so um, I think that Western medicine has a lot of power in addressing very acute conditions. And there are some things that Ayurveda can't address. Like if you have a heart attack, you're not going to go to an Ayurvedic practitioner, right? But when it comes to these, um, these conditions where the, the, the cause of it isn't so clear, like we can't identify a, a single uh, virus or a germ that's like, oh, it caused this. You know, we have to look a little bit deeper as to what what caused it in the first place. And oftentimes that's going to be in long term diet lifestyle and like, you know, stress and even trauma. Yeah, stress and trauma. I know stress is focused on more lately, but it's still overlooked a good amount. And trauma really isn't addressed in Western medicine at all. And it, I don't know if there's, there's this one body or one book, The Body Keeps the Score. Yes. You've heard of that. It, I've read it, yeah. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. And yeah, it says just how we, well, you do know, but it's just how we really store traumas in our bodies and it can lead to diseases or illnesses. And it, we, we just, we just think we experience something bad and then that's it, but it's actually stored in our body. 
in muscles or various other parts. Oh, very much so. Yeah. And um, I think this is where the more spiritual aspect of Ayurveda comes in um, because and, and the yoga too. So Ayurveda and yoga work in tandem. And a lot of the healing, the trauma is about identifying our triggers and our patterns and what we have made what's happened to us mean. Um, and so I think a lot of people can relate when they say like, I keep making the same mistakes over and over again, or the same thing keeps happening to me in life over and over again. And so, um, you know, instead of like broadening on it as if it's like, oh, like poor me, like really looking at it to be like, what, um, okay, I see this happening over and over again. Now, how, what is it in my power? Like, what do I have in my power to change that pattern? That's a good way to approach it because I noticed when I was younger, I would make the same mistakes. I, I was guilty of that. Why do you think it's so hard to cut out or stop a bad pattern or habit we have, even when we see it's causing us a lot of detriment time and time again? So I think this is based off of what I read because um, I, I I was a psychology major as well. Um, and then after that, I was still deeply very interested in mental health and psychology. And so um, when we're younger, we learn a specific behavior to en enable us to survive a situation. And so whatever that situation might be, it's going to vary, but everybody Every single person has a situation like this where they learn that that is the way that they survive and it becomes their go-to and it's the way that they conceptualize the world now. So for some people, it might be that they work, they believe that working hard is going to allow them um, to survive and that validates their, um, their having to keep trying harder. Um, but the thing is, like, these beliefs aren't necessarily true objectively. So as you go on in life, even though, it, you know, life starts to kind of, like, prove you wrong, per se, you hold on to it because it's so deeply ingrained that that's the reaction that you have. Yeah, that makes sense. And I actually heard that a lot of, as a kid, especially from my dad. Always be busy, you know, work, work, work. And so that was really ingrained in my head and was hard on learn especially when you start going to classes like yoga nidra and or other things where meditation where you get to take a pause and then you realize oh wow not only do i not have to be working all the time it was actually causing me a lot of problems either to my health or physical or mentally or just even not really enjoying life either yeah and that's like a, such a huge part of life is like being present Right, and being able to enjoy moment to moment what you're doing. I think we all get caught up in our pattern. And, and before you know it, like it's already taken us, you know, it's taken us out. And, um, and I understand after seeing several clients that like it is really hard to get out of those, those thought patterns because like that, that is what you know. That's what you've always known. 
yeah that's uh that's yeah what what you pick up as a kid i think is very hard to unlearn because you're so influenced you think your parents you kind of idealize them so they must know the best of everything and that they would only have best of intentions and so it's hard to really unlearn that though oh maybe they didn't really know the best way of doing things after all that there are things that they got wrong and not with malicious intentions but they just didn't know better that's the best knowledge they had at the time yeah and i think part of the journey is realizing that you know even though they weren't perfect they were trying their best and then that also gives you permission to realize that you are trying your best and uh i think that's where you can start to heal is that like acknowledging that you are doing your best and that's enough rather than always thinking that that like you're never going to get through it's never going to be enough that's really good advice thank you and yeah that's that's what I used to remind myself sometimes because it's easy to get overwhelmed when you're venturing into new territory and I don't know if you've ever felt that by taking a path you probably never saw yourself doing 10 or 20 years ago well uh let's say 10 years ago I was a graduate student and then about two years after that I was a professional dancer and um so I and I had even though like I feel like I've been all over the place like I lived my life very much as an artist and I was an artist and I was going to help save the world by d creating educational programs and integrating art and dance and whatnot. Like, uh, I would not have guessed that I would be here today looking at holistic medicine as my career. And that's totally okay. Like, you know, I think a lot of people think that you have to always do one thing and that if you if you don't try hard enough to succeed at it, you failed. But life isn't that black or white. And like you have to allow yourself to have the failures that are going to propel you into your next step of life, too. That's I think that's a good way, a nice way of putting it, too. It helps put it in perspective. And you said it's Hatha yoga that's related to Ayurveda, right? I would say Ashtanga. So yoga is such a complicated thing. It's been, uh, what, what do you call it? Um, appropriated a lot uh, in our culture. So it's hard to identify what I'm talking about as yoga. But when I'm talking about yoga, I mean um, the the yoga that that the where the goal is really to to tame the mind and and identify the patterns that keep that um keep you from happiness and peace so it is all about identifying your mental patterns to wrap it up if so what's the work with you what's the way you recommend having them reach out to you through your website or social media Yes, so uh, you can check my website. It's intrepidayurveda.com. Um, and my email address is very similar. So intrepidayurveda at gmail.com. 
So I'm very responsive by email. So if you do want to get in touch, don't be afraid to do so. And uh, I'm here. And I'll put those links below too so people can find them easily. And is there any one last thing you want to add that we didn't touch on? No, I think that um, this was a really great conversation. And uh, if there's any takeaway, I would say that like we are all on a journey and it's okay to be where you are in your personal journey. You're not ahead. You're not behind. You're exactly where you need to be. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today's episode with Valerie. Please like, follow, and subscribe so you can be notified of our next episode. We start a Patreon. Any amount you can donate will be greatly appreciated. Thanks again for tuning in. Be seeing you. You've been listening to the Dystopian Renaissance. Spirituality, healing, consciousness, truth. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And tell a friend or two. That would help also. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Dystopian Renaissance. And please find the website at www.thedystopianrenaissance.com.